Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for this morning. We thank you that you brought us to the house of God, that we're with the people of God and we're going to hear the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for our life. We ask you to speak to us. We open our hearts, we open our minds, and we ask that you would change us, Lord, that this word would be sown in our heart and that it would give fruit, that it, the word would not wither, that the word would not pass away, but that the word would give a fruit in our life, that our life would be changed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Before we dive into it, I want you to know something in case... A, you're new here, or B, you forgot. Because sometimes there's things we know, but we forget how important they are. The word of God is not to return void. My life, in my case, I'm going to start with me. My life has been transformed because God spoke to me. And I look around at the people here, and amazingly... I know so many of you, and I know how so many of you, your lives have been transformed by the word of God. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever forget that when God speaks his word, he speaks it to transform us. He doesn't speak it just for us to hear, to feel good. He doesn't speak it just to get us encouraged He speaks it so that it transforms us. The Bible says so that it gives fruit, so that it's sown and then it grows inside of you and it has a fruit. Fruit is something people can see. Fruit is something people can touch. And fruit is something people can taste. People can come eat from your life. The result of the, of the word of God in your life, the fruit of the word of God in your life. So today, as we read God's word, Understand that God's intent is for it to have a result in your life. Not, we're, we're not here uh, to pass the time. We're here for God's word to impact our life. So, um, Pastor Joaquin, as you know, is not here this morning. And Pastor Joaquin continues to uh, get better and he's working on Uh, recovering from his medical condition that's affecting his eye. But he called me last night and he said, I want you to share. He said, could you share on Rosh Hashanah? I said, sure. I, have n I know nothing about Rosh Hashanah. But if you want me to share on that, I'll do it, Pastor. And uh, he didn't leave me hanging. He sent me notes so you're gonna hear if God gives me the grace you're gonna hear from our pastor this morning but you're gonna hear him through my voice hopefully hopefully we're gonna hear from God um, but I wanted you to know that this is a message that was on Pastor Joaquin's heart I want you to know that what I'm gonna share I knew nothing about Rosh Hashanah however the biblical principles behind Rosh Hashanah are things that we've been hearing about for years. Um, but, the, but Rosh Hashanah is a time to bring them to remembrance. It's a time to bring them to the forefront and to meditate on them and to make adjustments in our life. So <clears throat> Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. Now, for those of you technical theologians, there's two types of New Year's, at least two types of New Year's in the Jewish tradition. One of them, it's kind of like uh, in business, we have a calendar year and a fiscal year. And you're, so, so in the same way, there was a calendar year for um, the Jews and there is a, 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 an agricultural year. And so Rosh Hashanah is the new year and it's the day when the year turns over. So it's like our December 31st in their calendar. It's the year that their, it's the day that their year turns over. Now, The Jews celebrate Rosh Hashanah not the end of the year. We celebrate 
at the end of the year. But they celebrate the year to come. So they're looking forward. They're not looking back. And that's a lesson for us. God wants you to look forward. And they celebrate. You know how they look forward? They celebrate with apples and honey. I had never done that. I'd never celebrated with apples and honey. Last year, we did it for the first time. I recommend you all try it. Pastor was concerned we were going to get diabetes. We were like, it was more honey than apples. But it's very good. I recommend it to anybody. But Rosh Hashanah, they celebrate with apples and honey. They celebrate with sweet delicacies for two days. Just celebrating. I'm going to tell you what they're celebrating. But they're celebrating that next year or, or this new year is going to be a sweet and fruitful year. The apple is fruit and the honey is the sweetness of that fruit. And the heart of God is that when you begin to walk with him, when you begin a thing that you celebrate not what has already happened, not what you already have in your hand, you celebrate what is to come. That you celebrate a sweet and fruitful new year. Now, I was not raised Christian, and I remember... New Year's Eve parties are engraved in my mind and in my soul. And it wasn't me, okay? It was my parents. My parents were the proverbial Cuban party animals. And I'm serious. My, the party was always at my house, except New Year's. The uh, 24th, December 24th, the uh, Christmas Eve, that was always at my house. And in the summer, we would have a rehearsal. So we would have in the middle of the year, everybody would come over and we would roast a pig and do New Year and not New Year's, Christmas Eve festivities in the middle of summer. And it was in Spanish, it's el ensayo. It's the rehearsal for Christmas Eve. My parents were party animals. I know none of you believe it because, you know, you know, you look at me, you're like, oh, he's so serious. By the way, I don't, I never, I, it's hard for you to see. Let me tell you something. You have no idea. It's so hard for, for you to see how other people see you. This is a, a, a parenthesis. Whatever you think about yourself, you can't imagine how differently you, how differently you are than what you think you are. I, my passion, and I'll give you a parenthesis, my passion, my life revolved around motocross, which most of you don't even know what that is, but... I used to ride dirt bikes, like, you know, the ones with motors, not bicycles, in the woods. I mean, the, you see it on TV now, and you look at them, and you're like, they're crazy. And people would look at me and say, this guy did motocross? There's no way. This guy's so serious. He's so, and I'm like, I try to be respectful, but I don't really see myself the way that I hear people describe how they see me. And, and I'll, I'll read my yearbook, and I'll read people, see what people write about me. And I'm like, wow, that's how they see me? So the point is, the way you see yourself is not the way you are. The way you see yourself is what you think you are. But that's, that's an aside. The point is, my parents were party animals. And I remember really clearly the, 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 the New Year's Eve party that marked my mind. My parents, we went to a, my parents, I was, you know, I was, four, five, six, maybe. I don't remember how old I was. I just, maybe younger, probably five. I remember uh, being in a hotel, right? I guess this is how they used to party, or maybe they still do that. I haven't done it in so long. Um, being in a hotel in Miami Beach, a huge ballroom, probably the biggest ballroom I've ever been in, and the dancing and the partying and the music just went on and on and on and on. And I would go to sleep on the, on the chair and wake up and they were still partying. And I would go to sleep on the chair and wake up and they were still partying. Then I would go run around the entire humongous hotel. Have you ever been to the Fountain Blue? These hotels are huge. They're like small cities. And I was a five-year-old just running around the entire campus or the entire property. Because my parents were partying. And I remember walking down the street, walking down Collins, five years old with my parents, super tired. 
the sun was coming up. The sun was coming up, and that's when I was like, wow. I remember being five and thinking, I wasn't a Christian. I said, man, my parents are cool. They party until the sun comes up. But here's the thing. The world parties. Watch this. I have, a, I have, there is a song in Spanish that I translated a couple of the lyrics to English because it encapsulates the way the world celebrates. All right, so it's a translation, so it won't be perfect, but it says, tonight I want to leave everything behind. I want to party and let my feet loose to forget my woes. This is, this is how we think in the world. I can't wait till Friday gets here so I can finish suffering the suffering of the week. The week is horrible, and I have to drag my feet through the week. And I remember thinking that before being a Christian. Drag my feet through the week, suffer the week so that I, Friday could get here. Thank God it's Friday. And they have restaurants named after that. And, and, and then they start to pull the weekend earlier. It's like people can't wait till Friday, so they start partying on Thursday because they want to leave their reality behind. They want to let their feet loose and forget their reality, forget their woes. I turn on the TV and it's all bad news. They want to put me in a bad mood. But tonight, I'm sure I'll have a good time. Tonight, I want to leave everything behind. I want to let my feet loose and forget my woes. The world celebrates to forget the reality. And I remember that. I remember partying, even being 13, 14, 15. I wanted a party I had good, you know, I had good instructors. I wanted a party to forget my woes. I wanted a party to forget my reality. That's why people take drugs. That's why people drink, to forget their reality. But in the kingdom of God, we celebrate the future we have ahead. Amen. You, the world celebrates to get their mind off their troubles. God's will for your life is that you celebrate the future that he has for you. A future of sweetness. Not a future, not I want to forget my woes. And you know what? Tonight we drink and we dance for tomorrow we die. I remember the, scent, the sentiment of partying in the world was I'm going to have a blast tonight because isn't there a song like who knows about tomorrow or something like that? Uh, there's a song, there's some song like that. I think it's in Spanish. But it's like, let's get it on because who knows if we're going to get another chance to enjoy life. But the Bible says God's people are to celebrate his promise of fruitfulness in the future. Amen. Okay, so Rosh Hashanah was a time of two things. I think I might get ahead of myself by telling you it was a time. I don't, want to go, I don't want to go to those two things yet, but just know this. Rosh Hashanah is a time to celebrate the fruitfulness, the sweetness of the year to come. The year and the sweetness of what God is going to do in your life. Okay? Now, how do we know to expect a fruitful and a sweet year? Why do we expect something good? It hasn't happened yet. I have no guarantee how do I know or why do we expect a good new year? 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. It says we're confident. Why? Why are we confident about the new year? Knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Keep going. Verse 7. There's another translation. If we could put the New American Standard. If we could put the New American Standard, go back to 6. It says we're always of good courage. Always. Always of good courage. Next verse. For we, why are we of good courage? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. If you turn on the TV like the song says, it's going to put you, if you pay, let me say it differently. If you pay attention to the news, it's going to put you in a bad mood. If you pay attention to what's around you, it's going to bring you down. But the Bible says we're always of good courage. Always. Why? For we walk by faith and not by sight. 
So God wants us to look forward to the year to come. He wants us to look forward to what he's going to do and be of good courage always because we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, <clears throat> there is a verse, Galatians 3.11, just to drive this point home about walking by faith. It says, no one is justified by being religious. Read this. It says, nobody is justified by doing good. No one's justified by the law. For before God it's evident, the righteous man shall live by faith. Listen, listen. One of the most important things you could take here today. God has not called you to live by what you see. I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable. It's, it's still something I'm growing in. It made me uncomfortable. So I understand the struggle you have when you hear that God has not called you to walk by sight, by what you see. But I am here to tell you, God has not called you to walk by what you see. If you walk by what you see, you're going to be unstable in all your ways. Because the waves, of this the waves of this world and the winds of this world are going to toss you to and fro. If you walk, if your life is based on your circumstances, if your life is based on what you see, you're going to be tossed to and fro. That is the mark of immaturity. It's normal for a child. It's normal when we're starting out. But the mark of maturity in the Lord is that we walk not by what we see. We're not tossed. We see them. It doesn't say you don't see. It just says you don't walk based on what you see. What do we mean by that? In spite of what we see, we're, in, we're of good courage. Because he says we are of good courage always because we walk by faith and not by sight. So number one today. God is calling you to walk by faith and maybe more powerful or, or, or easier for us to understand is God is not calling you to walk based on what you see. Stop doing it. It's going to rob you of your courage for the future. You want courage? What does faith mean? It says we walk by faith and not by sight. Go to the next, go to verse, let's try 12. Okay, no, that was, we, we got it. We can take that verse away. Thank you. So, um, God is calling us to walk by faith. So, what is faith? Everyone quotes the verse, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Everyone that knows this verse. So, there's two camps. There's people that know what the Bible, know these verses. And the people that know these verses in here are going to say, well, faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. Yes, but that doesn't help you understand what faith is. That helps you understand the consequence of faith, the result of faith, but that's not the definition of the definition of faith. It says, let's go back. It says, the, the just shall live by faith. It says, more importantly, be of good courage, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Okay? Now, what does faith mean? Complete trust in God. I don't walk by what I see. I walk in complete trust in God. And because I have complete trust in God, I'm of good courage. That's what God is calling us to do. Not you look at things, you deal with things. The Bible says we're in this world. It doesn't blind itself to the fact that we're in this world and in Spanish, la realidad de la vida, it's reality. It's just, that's all well and good. But there's something more powerful, which is the reality of God. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen. Amen. We have a heavenly father. So God is calling us to walk in complete trust in him and not in what we look at. So getting back to Rosh Hashanah. What does this have to do with Rosh Hashanah? Historically, Rosh Hashanah, they, the Jews celebrate it as the birthday of the universe. It's the day that God created. They celebrate it as the day that God created Adam and Eve. They celebrate it. Um, it's the inauguration of, the, of man's role in the world 
And according to some secular opinion, it revolves around, well, according to some secular opinion, its origins are uh, the beginning of the agricultural year. But as a matter of fact, it does mark, whether that's the origin or not, it happens to mark the beginning of the agricultural year. Why is this important? Why is it important? We're not an agricultural society. So when I start to tell you that the Jews celebrated this thousands of years ago because it was the beginning of their agricultural season, you say, what does that have to do with me? I think in sales they tell you to, when you're communicating, something like with them, right? What's in it for me? You always have to communicate. So people hear this, and in our fallen nature, our reaction is agriculture. What does it have to do with me? What's in it for me? We're going to get to that. In my Jewish learning, they have an article. This is a website. MyJewishLearning.com, Rosh Hashanah 101. I told you I didn't know anything about Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah 101, Rosh Hashanah is a time of rejoicing, of both rejoicing and serious introspection. A time to celebrate the new year and take stock, take inventory of what's happening in our life. In 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about Israel's mistakes. Put it, I don't know if it's going to have the, the, a caption, but let's try 1 Corinthians 10.1. It may not have a caption in the... Okay, so if you look this up in Bible Gateway or you look this up in your Bible, if it has headings, it will say Israel's mistakes. So you say, what does Israel that lived thousands of years ago have to do with me? What it's in, what's in it, what does it have to do with me? What does Rosh Hashanah have to do with me? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, These things happen to them as an example written for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages has come. So when we hear about Rosh Hashanah, when we hear about, the new, when we hear about Israel, the Bible says the things that happened to them happened as an example for your instruction. So, I know you still don't get it, but follow me with this. We're talking about Rosh Hashanah because God says that the things that happened to Israel were an example for our instruction. What am I trying to say? That even though we're not an agricultural society, there's a deeper spiritual meaning here. There is a deeper spiritual meaning to what we're going to talk about. Than, this is not about farming, okay? The beginning of an ag the concept of taking inventory of the of harvest time is not there's a there's a deeper spiritual meaning than farming we're not talking about farming genesis 8:22 we got to move fast while the earth remains seed time and harvest time cold and heat summer and winter shall not cease god says in the beginning seed time and harvest time will never cease as long as you're on the earth. So the time of harvest and the time of sowing, the Bible says, is a law that dictates how the earth, how our life on earth will um, evolve or will develop. Seed time and harvest time will not cease. So it didn't, it wasn't only important to them back in thousands of years ago, it's critically important to us today. Genesis 1, 11 through 13. Now watch this. First we said seed time and harvest time will not end. Then it says, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit, tree, bear, fruit trees bearing on the earth, bearing fruit after the kind. So it says seed, sowing and reaping will never stop. And it says, whatever, it says, whatever seed you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So it says, look, you're not going to, as long as you're on the earth, you're not going to escape sowing and reaping. You're not going to escape seed time and harvest time while you're on the earth. Whatever you sow, it says, the tree will bear fruit after, their, after the seed that is in them. So whatever, if you have a mango, guess what? If I want a mango tree... Do you think I'm going to 
plant an avocado seed? If I want an orange, my, my mother-in-law tried to, uh, when I tried, she planted a, a lemon tree in our backyard. It hasn't grown. We think we're going to get rid of it. It's been there for a few years. It's getting in the way of the volleyball court. If anyone is a green thumb and can tell me how to get lemons out of the tree, I think they're limes. You know, Cubans call everything a lemon. It's a lime tree. There's no fruit. Huh? You got to wait forever? Okay, I think, it's, I think we're going to maybe transplant it or something. Suegra, if you're watching, let's move. we're going to move the tree when you come back from Mexico. Okay, so watch this. Seed time and harvest time. She planted lemon seeds because she wanted a lemon, a limes. She planted lime seeds because she wanted limes. You know, she wants to. It's like now it's in style, right? You plant your own seeds. You plant your tomatoes and you have your own garden, you know, that kind of thing. So, she, you know, um, now she has her own yard. She can do it in her house. But she didn't have a yard then, so she did it in my house. That's cool. I love you, Mom. No, it's cool. I think I need to give her a space so that we don't trample her trees. Anyways, I'm trying to fix it. We're getting, let's, get, let's go back. Let's, let's pull this back in. So the point is seeds, right? If you want lemons, you sow lemons. If you want mangoes, you sow mango seeds. So now it says Galatians. Now we get into it for real. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. What is God's promise? When I said God has promised us a fruitful and a sweet new year, what is God's promise? God's promise is whatever a man sows, that he's going to reap. It says don't be fooled. Don't expect to get a good result with a bad, with bad seed. Don't expect to sow poorly and get a good result. It says, don't be deceived. What does that mean? We deceive ourselves. How many of you have deceived yourself in the past? We deceive ourselves. And we think that we're going to get a good fruit when we don't sow good seed. We th you know what the Bible, watch this. The Bible even says, if you sow the wind... Look how interesting. If you sow the wind, meaning nothing, you reap the whirlwind, which are whirlwinds like a tornado. So if you sow bad seed, guess what you're going to get? The seed is this big, but how big is the fruit? Watermelon seed, how big is it? Watermelon fruit, how big is it? How big is the tree that is born Think about this. How big is the tree that's born from a small seed? So whatever you sow, you're going to reap multiplied many times over. Whatever you sow, you're not going to get back what you sowed. You're going to get back the fruit of what you sowed. So if you sow something small incorrectly, you're, gonna, you're not going to get back something small if you sow bad seed, you're not going to get back bad seed. You're going to get back bad fruit. You're going to get back bad, a bad tree. If you sow good seed, you're not going to get back bad, good, good seed. You're going to get back good fruit. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Overflowing. Many of you, if you're like me, you know, we eat. Remember, I don't do it. I haven't done it in a long time, but it, we eat the sunflower seeds, right? They're okay. They're interesting. They, you know, they keep you entertained while you're, you know, working through the, the, the shell, all right? But God didn't really. God wants us to eat of fruit. God wants us to sow seeds, but we're going to eat fruit. And the Bible says, whatever you sow, my friend, do you want a good future? So rightly now. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Next verse. The one who sows to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Notice the flesh. Flesh is bad. But corruption, that means it's already rotten. 
right? It's already gone bad. It's already, it's already rotted. So when you sow a seed, you get back the fruit, which is many times greater than what you sow. It's the same. The Bible says it's the same kind. It's according to what you sowed, but it's, it's multiplied. So it says the one who sows in the spirit will reap eternal life. So what is our hope for the future? Why are we of good courage? Because we're sowing in the spirit. God is calling you in your life to take inventory. If you don't like the fruit that's in your life, there's no sense crying over it. There's no sense complaining because complaining, the Bible says, worrying, you can't add a cubit to your stature. You can't add an hour to your life. It does you no good to complain. It does you no good to worry. Matter of fact, it sets you back because it robs you of energy. It robs you of your courage and it, it, it discourages you. So it sets you back when you worry and complain. But we have this promise that if we sow rightly, we're going to reap rightly. So we can start sowing now. Forget about the past. Remember, the Jews celebrated the year to come. They weren't looking at what happened last year. You might have had a rough year. You might have had a rough time. I'm not saying you're not going through stuff. I'm telling you, if you sow, God's telling you, if you sow rightly, you're going to get fruit and it's going to be sweet. And that's what the Jews were celebrating. The Jews were doing two things. It says it was a time of celebration and a time of introspection. And I think that website softened it a little bit because the Jews knew that after the time of Rosh Hashanah would be a time of judgment where God was going to judge his people. And so they were repenting. They looked at their life and they said, where have I been sowing bad seed? And they said, Lord, I repent. Lord, I'm going to change directions this year. This year, I'm going to sow good seed. This year, I'm going to sow according to the spirit. The one who sows according to the flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows according to the spirit will reap eternal life. God is calling us to sow good seed you can be encouraged because God promises good fruit if you start to sow in the spirit. If you sow righteously, you will, if you sow correctly, you'll reap correctly. But if you fail to, to sow righteously, you're going to have bitter, bitterness, the opposite of sweetness, is bitterness. If you have bitterness in your life and if you have no fruit, it's because you sowed the wrong seed. The Bible says, and I, I didn't finish this thought earlier, if you sow the wind, because some of you are not sowing bad seed, the Bible has three buckets. The Bible says there's those that are hot, they're on what we, what we call on fire for God, passionate about the relationship with God. Those that are cold, the people that, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with God. So you got the people that are sowing to the spirit. You have the people that are sowing to the flesh. But then you have these people in the middle that it says you've become lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not sowing in the spirit. You're not cold. You're not, uh, you think you're okay because you're not doing anything bad. But the Bible says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And it says, if you sow, and accordingly, it says, if you sow the wind, meaning, you know what, I'm not sowing good seed, but you know, in Spanish, no lago mal a nadie, I don't do anything, I don't, I don't hurt anybody, I try to live a good life. So I'm not over here with the guys sowing bad seed, I'm not over here sowing guys, sowing uh, good seed, I'm in the middle, I'm indifferent, I'm cold, listen. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm not sorry to tell you. 
that's not God's will. It's not God's will for your life to just take it easy. To just be, God's will is not for you to be comfortable. God's will is for you to be on fire. He says, if you're comfortable, I'm going to vomit you out. He says, if you sow the wind, take it easy. You're going to reap the whirlwind. Now, I don't know what that means, but I don't want to see it. I don't want a whirlwind. I've seen, we see it on the news all the time. What happens? The devastation that winds bring. Hurricanes, tornadoes. You know that we just saw recently in, in, in the Bahamas and prior to that in Puerto Rico. We know the devastation of a whirlwind. And that is, it says, if you sow the wind, if you're indifferent, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And that is true. Listen, it says you're going to reap what you sow. So that's true in every area of your life. So first and foremost, your top priority, the most important area of your life, is your relationship with God. We're not going to read the verses because we're running out of time. But the, when they ask Jesus, what's the most important commandment? When they ask Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He said, love your God with all your heart. Not a little bit. Not lukewarm, not comfortably. Love your God <clears throat> with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God with everything. The most important, if we want to talk about sowing and reaping, and we want us, how do I sow good seed in my personal life? Because by the way, the Bible says, if your house is not in order, How can you serve in the house of God? So you need to show that your house is in order before you even think about doing anything else. What you're doing for others should be a reflection of your relationship with God. If you're doing stuff for others and your relationship with God is out of order, you're out of order and your priorities are upside down. Number one priority, if you want to sow good seed, If you do nothing else, you better nail this one. If I do nothing else, I better nail this one. That I sow into my relationship with God. That I sow seeds in my relationship with God. That I love God <clears throat> with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Then Jesus said, I have a bonus offer for you. When they asked him, what's the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, the second one's free. The second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, listen, here's what's amazing. The two most important commandments are both around relationships. Number one, your most important relationship, your relationship with God. The second most important commandment is your relationship with others. And the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. And <clears throat> I think there's a verse, I, I can't recall exactly, but I think there's a verse where Jesus kind of gets upset because people are like, well, who's my neighbor? I think it's when he's talking about the Good Samaritan. Lord, who's my neighbor? Like, oh, well, you know, They want to get into the technicality so they don't have to love everybody. That's not the heart of God. But as a religious person, let me get some, I'm, I'm, I need some water, guys. Give me, a, give me a second here. As a religious person, we want to know what's the minimum I can get away with. So we're like, well, who's my neighbor? Because, okay, I'll love some. Is it my next-door neighbor, my front-door neighbor, or is the guy two blocks away my neighbor? Listen, buddy, you're missing the point. And, you, you, and deep down, you know it. If you're looking for how can I get away with the minimum, you know you're missing the point. But so if our first and most important relationship is with God, our second most important relationship is with our neighbor, and who is our closest neighbor? If you're married, your wife. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
your wife. Who's my neighbor? Ah, you want to get technical. Well, it's Johnny across the street. Johnny's cool. Johnny, all his kids are, he's got, you know, I joke around with my kids because he's got Juan, JP, Juan Pablo, uh, John Paul. So I joke that the fourth one is Jupina. <laughs> They're all JP. Okay, that's my neighbor Johnny to the right. But you know who's my neighbor? You know who I have the closest? My wife. My relationship, I need to sow into my relationship with God, number one. Number two, I need to sow into my relationship with my wife. If I can't love my wife, everything else is a show. My wife knows who I am. My wife is with me more than anyone else. Okay? If I can't show love to her, I'm pretending when I'm showing love to somebody else. I'm loving someone that, that, doesn't, that I don't know, and I'm loving someone that doesn't know me. But your wife, she knows you. As, as the, the, she's the closest neighbor you have. Your closest neighbor is your wife. God's not calling you to love the guy in China. He ain't your neighbor. He's far away. So who's your neighbor? The person you have at closest proximity, and so on and so forth. You got to love your wife. And it says, without, it says, to the wives, be subject to the husband. So wives, respect your husband. Women, you need love. The Bible says that, and we're going to get to that. Your husband needs you to respect him. Your husband does not, believe me, your husband does not sit there saying, I wish my wife would love me. Your husband's sitting there saying, how can I take my role as a man if this woman doesn't respect me? Your husband, to the degree that you need love, he needs respect. Think about that, women. To the degree you need love, he needs respect. Women, uh, Men, to the degree that you want your wife to respect you, to that degree. How would you like, you know what the Bible says? This is one of, I think this is one of men's favorite verses. Abraham's wife called him Lord. And obviously it's not talking capital Lord. It's not worship, but it's just a place of reverence. I think that's like men's. You know, one of man's favorite verses Abra about, about wives. Abraham's wife called him the same way you want to be loved and adored and cherished. Men want to be respected. Start to sow good seed in your marriage if you want good fruit. You want a good marriage? Sow good seed. I'm not trying to cover everything today. You want to know what good seed is? The Bible says the word of God is the seed. If you remember the parable of the sower, what did he say? He said the sower went out to sow. And in the end, he explains it and says the, so, the seed is the word of God. Do you want good fruit in your life? You, need to, you want a good year, a sweet year, a profitable year, a, 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 a fruitful year? Start to sow good seed. You want a better relationship with your wife? Start to sow good seed. You want a better relationship with your husband? Start to sow a good seed. By the way, wives and husbands, the fact that he doesn't love you, is not justification for you not to respect him. And husbands, the fact that your wife doesn't respect you is not justification for you to not love her. Okay? However, however, he who has ears, let him hear. If you want a good marriage, sow good seeds according to the word of God. Amen. Amen. Children. It says, train up, how do I sow good seeds? So first my relationship with God, then my relationship with my closest neighbor. Now, what, after my relationship with God, God's priority is my wife. Then my children. How do I sow good seeds with my children? The Bible says, train up a child in the ways that he should go. Where did I put it? Train up a child in the ways he should go. When he's old, he will not depart. The Bible says you have to train them. Listen, I'm training my kids with volleyball. It's super hard. You know what training means? Repetition. You know what it means? You tell them how to do it. You show them how to do it. Then you let them try. Then you correct them. And then you start the cycle all over. And by the way, my girls are like 10, 11, 9, 
okay? They're young. Do you think they're going to be champions next year? No. And by the way, I'm not training them to be champions. But if I wanted them to be a champion, I would have to train them. And that takes years. That takes constant instruction, constant monitoring, constant repetition, and most importantly, you want to know something? Everything I just said about children means nothing if you don't model it. I could tell my daughter how to hit the ball. This is how you do an overhand serve. You swing your, hit, your hips, your shoulders, and then your arm follows. Your arm, they, they, they roll their eyes. Your arm goes along for the ride. I could tell them all day, but if I don't show them, if they don't see how it's done right, they have no idea. It's all theoretical, and they can't put it into practice. But if I tell them, this is how you do it, you explain it to them, then you show them, watch me, that's how you sow good seed. Kids, watch me. And then you watch them, and you let them try. And then when, and you know what? They're going to mess up. Your kids are going to mess up, and it's going to be frustrating. They're going to get upset at you for messing with them. Then one day, they're going to be in game day. And they're going to hit 15 serves back to back. And now they're going to be like so happy that dad spent time messing with their life. That's how you raise, that's how you sow good seed in your children. It says train them. Training is, rep is instruction, repetition, modeling, monitoring. You're on top of them. You're doing everything you can. Sow good seed. For, listen, we can't fix the past. We can't. The past, guess what it is? Even the present is the fruit of what we already sowed. What you're eating now is the result of what you did in the past. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's not all bad. A lot of things we've done are right. And we're benefiting from what we've done rightly. And we're suffering from what we've done wrongly. In this new year, speaking in terms of Rosh Hashanah, stop looking at yourself as a victim. Stop looking at yourself. Stop being confused. The Bible says, don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. God will not be mocked. You're not going to get around God. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You're going to have good seed. I'm sorry, you're going to have good fruit. You're going to have a fruitful year if you sow rightly. With your finances, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. The plans of the diligent lead to advantage, but the hasty come to poverty. In Ecclesiastes, it says, if the axe is dull, it tells you two things. Be diligent, and the other thing it says and by the way, this is not everything. I'm just giving you some nuggets of how to sow well in the area of finances. It says be diligent. And it says if the axe is dull and it has no edge, it's harder. To, it's harder to cut. But wisdom gives success. Work smarter. So number one, work hard. But number two, work smarter. If you're, if you're working hard and you're not getting anywhere, then you need to work smarter. You need to work hard, but you need to work smart. Wisdom gives the advantage of success. Faith, in the area of faith, how do I sow good seeds of faith? The Bible says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Abide in him. You want to bear good fruit in your faith? Abide in Christ. And you'll, the Bible says you're going to bear much fruit. And it says, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. So you're wasting your time and you're wasting your energy doing anything other than abiding. And finally, in church and ministry, we're going to put up Ephesians 4.11. I'm going to close with this. The Bible says he gave some as apostles. So we've talked about personal, sowing in your personal life, in your married life, with your children, uh, with your finances, with your faith, and finally with church and ministry. It says, God gave some to be apostles. So this is about church. Some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? How do I sow rightly? Verse 12. 
how do I sow good seed in the church? It says, God established the church to equip the saints for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ. So, so if you're going to sow good seed, you should either be getting equipped. Look what it says, that the whole purpose of church is to equip you for ministry. The purpose of the pastor and the teachers and, the, and everybody is to prepare you for ministry. So one of two things should be happening if you want to sow good seed. You should be getting prepared and equipped. You should be getting trained. You should be getting equipped for ministry or you should be equipping somebody for ministry. You're either in ministry, doing ministry, or preparing to do ministry. You want to sow good seed, you should be getting equipped. And somebody should be equipping you. For what? For the work of service unto God. What service? What's the point of all this service? We're closing with this, 13. Till we all attain the unity of the faith, till we all come to the same faith, till we all know the Son of God, until we all become like Christ. That's a long verse. We're not going to read it all. It basically says to the whole church matures and we're all like Christ. We have a good year up ahead. We have the promises of God for our life to reap good fruit if we sow the right seed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word. Lord, we ask that you would show us the areas in our life where we're sowing bad, where we're not sowing the right seed. And we ask you, Lord, that you would show us in your word and show us by the, your saints, your pastors, your servants, and our brothers to show us how to sow right seed, good seed. What your word says is good seed for my relationship with you, my wife, my children my finances, my faith, and my church. Lord, we pray for a profitable new year. We pray for a fruitful and sweet new year as we sow, as we begin to sow seeds of righteousness and we begin to sow in the spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed.